Welcome to the Dr. Dad's Podcast, where a naturopath and chiropractor come together each week to share lifestyle medicine, health advice, and inspiring interviews with some of the top experts in health and wellness, bringing you the latest in nutrition, exercise, ancient healing, toxins and detox, your microbiome, mindset, hormones, brain, and much more. Stay tuned. We're going to teach you how to experience growth daily. Let's rock it. All right. Good afternoon or I guess good morning, wherever you are, whenever you are listening to the podcast. This is another episode of the Dr. Dads and we're talking about how to supercharge your immune system. It's a very timely conversation when you say Dr. David. How are you, man? Everyone's worried about that. Um, what's that virus? The, the carnivore virus, the Corona, the <laughs> Cerveza. Oh yeah. Cerveza the, Corona, the coronavirus, <laughs> right? It's funny, right? Because this is like what the sixth one in the last 10 years they like to throw them out we had the bird flu the swine flu the zika virus sars so oh yeah sars yeah i kind of feel sometimes like the media just likes to to get their ratings and they like to really hit it home with just labeling one of these and then just like you know like spread mass hysteria almost because that's what's happening right now well, yeah, and, and obviously we can see it because, you know, I, there's a thousand different themes going out right now with people running to the supermarket to load up on tissue pa- or toilet paper and water and all sorts of supplies. Uh, you know, I, I honestly think that often we're just, we're too tied into the zombie apocalypse movies that <laughs> keep, <laughs> keep getting blasted out to us and we keep thinking of the worst case scenario with these viruses that come out. And so um, it's it's unfortunate just how, easily manipulated we are by mass hysteria and it's it's unfortunate and and at the same time obviously there are people getting affected so this is not to be insensitive um, of any family who's had someone uh, affected and and possibly even uh, mortality uh, from the the flu but I think uh, you know before we dive any further why don't we just sort of talk about just the basic reality of, of flu in general, and then sort of go from there. Let's hit it, man. So tell people, let's just speak a little bit about yearly. We have different strains, right? And we can talk a little bit about vaccinations to some degree on what that approach is. I think that'd be good to share. And so what do they say? There's three strains they cover every year with the, with the flu vaccine, three strains. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. pick three, but they're guessing, right? It's a little bit of a guessing game. Yeah. But we always have these these seasons of everyone gets worried about the flu. And, I mean, it's crazy, man. Everywhere you go, they want to just inject you with the flu. Have you had your vaccination? Have you had your vaccination? And just real quick for our listeners, the, me and Nick, we're not going to give you these pro or anti-vaccine type things. This is really just trying to give the facts and look at some of the information here so that you you better understand what may be better ways to arm yourself against these things versus just following the herd and not really looking into it on your own. Um, So yeah, man, everyone gets worried every year. A lot of people will run to the flu vaccine. And and what they're doing basically is they're injecting a a dead virus into their system to help build their immunity that way. And so uh, can we talk real quick? Let's back up a little bit. What was the approach? You go back in history a little bit, and this was... Who is it that came up with this approach for the flu vaccine? I'm trying to remember. Oh, man. That's going back into the archives. I I don't remember. So the reason I'm bringing that up is because I do remember that there's two ways that we can look at our our, our body's ways of building its immunity versus these things. That's kind of what I wanted to talk about. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, that's that's great. So there's, there's innate 
immune function, and then there's acquired. So innate is basically, you know, you get an exposure through one of your, you know, orifices, respiratory passageways typically. Um, so that'd be mouth, nose, um, any of the mucous membranes leading into the body. And then the body's white blood cell lymphocytes start to target that antigen, which would be a protein from, say, a virus, bacteria, whatever. And it starts to create, eventually, once it clears the, the pathogen, it starts to create memory cells. They're called uh, T lymphocytes or memory cells that uh, remember how to deal with that particular immune upset. So that's called innate, an innate immune response where typically people have lifelong immunity. Now, an acquired immune response is something like the vaccine where there, it's being transmitted through, not, typically not through the oral passageways. It's usually given by injection and it's causing a, an immediate reaction within the body. Um, and unfortunately, it's not leaving any sort of memory for that particular uh, illness. And so basically, it's, it's more of a short-term solution for a particular virus or what have you. So those are the basic, you know, just to keep it super simple, those are two uh, immune mechanisms that we've got uh, when dealing with uh, foreign bodies in, in the system. So if we're, I mean, if we're, we have a healthy immune system and we support this, I mean, most of the time I would, I would be honestly say like, I don't think the flu vaccine is necessarily needed, but for someone who maybe is immune compromised, that might be a completely other story. Cause like you're saying this short term effect to protect them from something that could be life life threatening because of where their immune system state is. Mm -hmm. I could see the need for something like that. Yeah. Well, you know what? I can't help but think back to one of our guests. You're gonna to have to say his name. Gustavo is really cool. Spanish. Oh, Osvaldo. Osvaldo. Doctor Gaetan. Yeah, that's who it was. And he was so good about just talking, breaking down the use of of using when to use a drug or when not to. And I love that discussion because you just hit the nail on the head. There's certain populations of people that either a don't have access to the information. You know, they're, they don't know how to properly support their immune system, or maybe they're just not in a place where they can properly take care of themselves. And maybe those are populations that, that um, are going to benefit from you using a, a vaccine. And, and maybe the rest of us that maybe either have access or uh, resources or what have you to, to access that education, then, then maybe we can support uh, that process through learning how to build your immune system in a more like robust, um, all-encompassing kind of approach instead of a targeted. Like you said, you never really know what you're getting uh, each year when a flu comes on. So enter a coronavirus where there's no, obviously no known vaccine at this point in time. Uh, there's mass hysteria because the, the most people are expecting there to be some sort of preventative measure to prevent getting the flu, right? And so you know, same with the flu vaccine, there's no 100% guarantee that even if you get that vaccine for that particular virus, that it's going to prevent the infective process. But there's safety in knowing there's something targeting your immune system, which I think also supports the, you know, the, the mental emotional hypothesis of like just reducing fear. And unfortunately, we're in a mass fear frenzy when it comes to this virus. Well, nobody likes the flu. I think I've had it like once <laughs> and it's awful. Like it awful. everyone listening is like, yes, it's like the worst ever. Your body aches. You can feel like every bone in your body, it feels like it's going to snap, right? It's just massive headaches. You know, you feel awful. Um, 
So I get the, the idea of people really trying to avoid this. But I, I mean, I was hearing you talk right now, brother, and you're talking about this, this mass hysteria, but I think people, there's a little bit of worry there too, because I think more and more people these days are immune compromised Totally. compared to back if you turn the clock back, right? Like, yeah. it's kind of like, well, what can I just take to give me that fix to protect me? Because I want to keep doing all the things I shouldn't be doing to take care of my body. Mm-hmm. So then there maybe need to be some worry there, but I don't worry about not getting the flu vaccine i don't like and and i want our listeners to understand like there is there is a reality of you doing the right things from a lifestyle place like nick is saying to actually it boosts your immunity up to be well protected all the time so that your body can take care of you when these things come around you don't have to freak out and worry as much um so yeah i mean let's you want to get into that or did you want to talk about well, let's let's just let's just break down some of the basic numbers. So, the last last time I looked in the U.S., there's, there's better numbers in the U.S. than there's Canada, and there's just a larger population size, which makes it more interesting, I think. But let's say the typical flu within the flu season, maybe you know anywhere from 150 to 200 thousand people, uh, or possibly more. Again, this all just comes down to who's being tested for a, a particular virus. Uh, it could probably probably be closer to upwards of 300,000 people a year, you know, in the U S or have some sort of um, moderate to more severe affliction from the flu. And it's estimated that anywhere from 20 to 20 to 50,000 people per year die uh, of, of the flu. And that's just the typical of flu. And so with the, with the numbers that we're seeing with the coronavirus at, at this point in time, it's still early on, but there's some around 90 some odd thousand people who have been affected. And at this point in time, there's some around 4,000, I believe, people who have, who have uh, died as a result of the, the infection, which puts the mortality rate somewhere around, uh, well, 0.04 if we did just round it up that math. So that's a really small number in comparison. And it's just, it's, it's typically a little bit more aggressive and it's, it's seemingly more aggressive in it's in how it's showing itself up. But the numbers in relationship to the regular flu are minuscule in comparison, which, you know, should in of itself be a bit of a, a support system for people to realize that we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to get through this, right? This isn't uh, the end times. This, there, we, don't, we can be really proactive and smart about this, and especially when we're putting things in perspective. So I think just looking at just some of the data at this point in time, I think it's important to, to you know, bring that to people's awareness. Well, I would tell our, our listeners, be careful where you go for your news. Yeah. And you have to remember some of these news stations, they're just going for ratings. They're, it doesn't necessarily mean you're getting the truth. And so, you know, Nick's very good at sifting through this stuff. And I have my quirks about sifting through some of this info sometimes to get more of the facts and the data. And like Nick is saying, even the data we're getting is probably not completely accurate, but it's probably closer to. And yeah, that's kind of what I've been telling everybody is like, look, in relation to the big picture of how many people are going to pass away from the flu, this is like nothing right now. Yeah. I was like, so don't be so worried. I tell them just do the things you know you're supposed to do to keep your immune system up. And you'll be fine, you know, like, but it's crazy, man. Like everybody's worried. Yeah. There's a lot of fear right now. Oh, there totally is. And you know, if we all just did the basics 
Unless, what are the basics? Literally washing your hands. Don't touch your face. Uh, there's some information to show that there's fecal oral transmission. So again, just doing a really good job of washing your hands after, after bowel movement, after being in the, in, you know, in the bathroom. It's just basic hygiene. I mean, that's how, from what I understand, as history tells us, that's how we got over the bubonic plague was just up, upping our, our personal hygiene practices. And that in itself is going to go a, a massive amount of, or give us a massive amount of traction just following those basic steps. And it's interesting from some of the information that I've looked at is that the hand sanitizers, like the alcohol-based cleansers, aren't as effective as, as regular soap. Uh, soap has that surfactant quality to it, which basically helps to mobilize the viral attachment to the surface of the skin. And then you're also not wiping out your natural immune system, um, which you would if you're using alcohol-based cleanser on your hands. So you're actually still sustaining your natural microbiome when using just basic soap. And so I think even that in itself is important information because, again, just like the toilet paper, hand sanitizers are going out of stock as well. <laughs> So for you moms that like to bathe your kids in the antibacterial stuff, chill out a little bit. Just yeah. get them to wash pretty regularly. <laughs> and dads too. Not just totally. moms. But yeah, yeah that, that's, that, that's some good information, man, because people like to use that antibacterial stuff like soap all the time. Yeah. And let's yeah. talk about the masks. Because oh, man. when to use a mask, if you're sick, Great. First of all, if you're sick, you should stay home. That's step number two of basic hygiene. If you're not feeling well, if you got a cough, if you got a fever, just stay home if you can. Now, hopefully, you can stay home. But that mask is not to prevent virus from getting into your body from other people. It's literally to protect others from you. So, the only time you should ever use a mask is if you are sick in your own public. Then you're not you're you're maybe limiting exposure to other people. And if you have to cough and you don't have a mask, obviously be be conscious of where you're coughing. I mean, these are these are basic hygiene things. And and there it turns out some of the stuff I've been looking at is that there's actual shortages of these masks for healthcare workers. And these are the people that actually really need it that are out in the public. Uh, again, it's not going to prevent uh, someone from acquiring a virus, but it's definitely going to help to decrease that effect a little bit. But the basic message is if the only way that you should, us as a public should be using those masks is if we're in fact sick and we're, we have to be out in public. Otherwise, I have a patient there. Yeah, I have a patient. She works in a hospital and they literally had to meet with all their employees and tell them to quit taking the masks. Yeah. And, and because they say we need them for like surgeries and Hopefully. the stuff we need them for, like quit taking these. Everybody was taking them out of the supply rooms and stuff. Yeah. And, so, and that's the thing, those ones that are used for healthcare workers, they're going to be more effective because they will, um, def the, I think they're called N95, they're, they have small enough micropore in them that, that actually does decrease exposure if, if there's inhalants in the air that are nearby a, a healthcare worker. But, you know, those are the people that really need it. You know, I was actually talking to a, a friend who works in the hospitals and I was came, I was asking, well, what's the vibe like in our, in our local hospitals? Like, are, are they freaking out like, like the media is? And he's kind of like, no, they're like, it's not a, it's not a, it's a non-issue at this point in time. I mean, they're just telling people to be proactive, you know, it's kind of stuff that we're saying right now. Uh, but there's no mass hysteria even in our, you know, public hospitals, but it's interesting to hear that you had a healthcare worker that was actually concerned about um, just basic supplies for, for the people who are in these settings. Oh yeah, they're like, thing. we need our we need our masks. I think people were taking them home to their I families and stuff. So yeah. yeah, 
And yeah, the more we talk about this, man, the more I'm just like, my gosh, like, are people just doing the essentials? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, there's this hysteria. I mean, it's it's funny to watch, but it's like, like you're saying, it's like watching a movie. You know, like the zombie apocalypse is coming. <laughs> you know, hatch, yeah. close the hatches, and where's yeah. your breakout bags? And do you have your guns? Let's go, right? Totally. But we're not there, everybody. Like, no. so relax. Just yeah, and and to look look at where it's affected the population the most. Like, it started in China, and According to the latest stuff that I looked at, it looks like they're they're doing a good job of containing it because the infective rates are actually dropping. So if we just looked at that, let's say this thing came out in the last seven, eight weeks or so. Um, if the, the the main source, like the epicenter of where this virus started, if they're starting to get better containment and numbers are dropping, that's and again, that's this point in time that we're recording this podcast, but that's that's amazing news. And when I looked on the WHO website the other night too, they were kind of saying that, that listen, this is not going to be much different than some of the other things you mentioned at the beginning, the Ebola virus, the Zika virus. It's going to linger for probably another year. It's, it's going to be, you know, in and out of the media. It's just really big right now because, because the media is pushing out so much, but just plan that this is probably going to linger for a while <clears throat> because of the way transmission of viruses work. So, I mean, on, on just looking at that basic information, let's, let's break down what are some other things you can do for yourself. Like, let's talk about sleep. How about, how about sleeping a little bit better during this time to build your immune system? Yeah, I mean, it's number one. You know, I always tell that to everybody. Like, we have to be sleeping well. If we're not, our immunity definitely drops a, a number with just our ability to handle any kind of stress. But yeah, like, are you sleeping well? Are you getting your eight hours? Is it quality sleep? Are you tracking your sleep quality? Um, that's going to be numero uno. You got to start there if that's not already great. You know, and then, and second to that, do you want to talk more about sleep? I mean, that's, uh, that's pretty straightforward. Like, <clears throat> yeah. Dave and I both use uh, the Aura Ring. Uh, you lost yours, though, apparently. Um, oh, yes, you got a new oh, one. Nice. Nice. Yes, back sir. to recording. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's super important. I mean, we need that deep sleep. We need that REM sleep to, to really make sure that we're actually repairing. Right. And we need that heart rate variability nice and high so that our nervous system is intact and, you know, sleep is the main time that we're going to do our healing at night. So yeah, I mean, that's just, that's a, that's a given. So how do you be more proactive right now? Maybe you just set an earlier bedtime, right? Just get consistent with that. Yeah, you know, I was talking to a patient about that today. I think that's a good place for anybody to start if we're not getting great sleep is how consistent are you with what time you go down and what time you get up? Because if that's not there, there is no rhythm. You're not going to be able to create a rhythm for your body and your body needs to sink in with a rhythm. And there's so many people that they're taking melatonin and they're taking all these different sleep formulas. And then you look at their consistency of when they go to bed and what they're doing before bed and they're all over the place. Yeah. And it's like, just be consistent. Start winding it down an hour before bed. Get off your electronics, you know. Get mm-hmm. get in more into that mindful state of being, of journaling. Or, you know, I tell people to use those little coloring books. Or, you know, there's all these different things you can do to wind down. But then just get the rhythm going by the same time every night and the same time every morning. Mm-hmm. And if you just do that and are consistent, you'll see changes with that over time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the body likes that that rhythm, right? It likes... 
you know, the circadian clock where we, whether we want to believe it or not, we're totally tied to the sun moon cycles. And so our body is naturally inherently innately wants that same rhythm to happen. So I love that you said that. And we have to allow it, right? So many times we're the ones uh, like in, in causing that interference basically from taking place. Yeah. So yeah, you got to be consistent, you know, cause I've cleaned up everything on a lot of my patients to help them sleep better. And I'm telling them like, there's no issues internally anymore. This is an issue of you not being consistent with what time you go to bed. Totally. So, but, but the zombie apocalypse movies are on it and Netflix at night. So that's true. Right. <laughs> Gets, it starts to, there's all what Clarissa, they call them the owls and then I'm the, the morning lark. Right. So yeah. But yeah. Just be consistent, you know, just have that bedtime and it'll make big changes. So another so, so that's sleep hygiene. What about what about food hygiene? Oh yeah, man. Well, I would say that's definitely number two, right? Is yeah. we've got to be eating right. And the main culprit, I'll tell you right off the bat, that's numero uno for diet is stay away from sugar. Mm-hmm. You know, sugar down regulates your immune system. What is it like? It knocks it down to like thirty three percent or something like that of its of its normal function when you eat sugar, and then it lasts for hours right yeah. after you eat the sugar. So Sugar is a big culprit, so if that's a regular part of your diet, even if it's from fruit, everybody, who the ones my, my I call them my fruit exchangers, uh, they, they're like, oh, no, I eat healthy. I'm like, you don't need any sugar. No, no, no. And then you talk to them, and they have like a ton of fruit every yeah. single day. I have bananas and pineapple and mango and Dried fruit too, and right? That, oh, yeah. Even worse. Yeah, sugar is sugar, everybody. Yes, yep. it's better if it's coming from a natural source, of course. But at the end of the day, it's still sugar. And if you're slamming a ton of fruit every day, you are lowering your immune system a little bit. So we got to start there for sure. Yep. And then, uh, so what else? I mean, I, I usually tell people avoid the mucus-forming foods right now too. like Dairy. Dairy, yeah. bananas, wheat and gluten. Uh, anything that's going to really make your body sticky and, and make that lymphatic a little bit more difficult to, uh, to move. And, and well, anyone, of course, with food sensitivities. I mean, good time to really hunker down and avoid those food triggers. Well, it's so funny as we're saying these. These are all just things that cause that we know drive inflammation in our system, right? They all cause a lot of gut irritation and they all drive inflammation in the system. And so you get that gut inflamed, everybody, and you're going to have that systemic inflammation. And then the whole system starts to basically downregulate. Yeah. And you're, you're losing resources, basically, for your body's ability to go in and do its job. Yeah, totally. Anything else we want to say on food, food nutrition? Maybe you got to, we got to talk about fasting. You know, we got to yeah, drop well, a fasting bomb here. Uh, yeah, let's lump that in. Yeah, 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 go so, ahead. so you, you need time away from food, just like you, you need time to sleep at night and you can build off that, that fasting window when you're not eating at night through your, through your nighttime sleep and then just delay your breakfast a little bit longer so that you're supporting a longer window of time where your body can just rebuild its immune system. I know personally, since I started doing just my daily intermittent time-restricted eating, it's massively improved my immune function. I was getting sick, you know, especially with the young kids, I was getting sick very frequently. And, and out of all the strategies or life changes or symptomatic changes in my body, strengthening my immune system was the most obvious thing that, that shifted uh, for me once I started to build that into my lifestyle. And that was something like seven plus years ago. Um, so I know that if I ever feel like I'm starting to get sick, I just, I just move into a longer fast 
and just brings my body back. Well, and I have to second that. I have not been on a seven-year journey with fasting, but I'm about, I think I'm on year, going into year four. Mm. And yeah, man, definite, definite massive shift of my immune function over the years since I've done that. And, and like Nick's saying, you know, also not just intermittent. I mean, even the fact that we do block fasting and some yeah. of these other things, you know, block fasts are a great way for you to actually build up your immune system. Because one of the things that happens during a five-day block fast is we actually create enough autophagy in our system and then we get this massive burst of stem cells. But one of the main types of cells that gets affected are our immune cells. Yeah. So sometimes we have these overreactive immune cells that can actually basically just like, like they have a coordination issue with their ability to fight infection in the body. And so when you go through a, a block fast like this and you, and you experience that autophagy and that big stem cell burst, you're actually building new healthy immune cells uh, that are more calibrated and, and coordinated to do their job better. So, yeah, I mean, it's a combination of each of these things. Those are more long-term, but it's a long-term solution. I mean, uh, the more you fast in your lifestyle and you keep going, the more benefits you'll see over time. So yeah. definitely something you can't just do for a little bit and then just be done with it. Well, I'm glad you said that because, you know, as, as we just alluded to in the beginning, or as, as we shared in the beginning of this podcast, we were talking about like every year or every couple of years, there's a new virus that comes out. How would it feel to like, to be in the state where you're not constantly in reaction mode and you're just, you're just really focusing on prevention optimization because you've just dialed in such a ongoing lifestyle practice that, that makes you superhuman, right? Like it supercharges your immune system. And that's the beauty in all this stuff that we're, that we're sharing is that when's the best time to start? Well, right now, you know, you start right now and you build this into your lifestyle practice so that you don't have to be in constant state of reaction and be in a state of fear every time, you know, the next virus comes out. You can do your, put your best foot forward and really, you know, own these processes that can have a huge effect and impact on your immune system. And just to dial it back into autophagy, I mean, the Nobel Prize in medicine was awarded in 2016 for understanding this role. And I, I can't remember how to pronounce this, this guy's name. He was a Japanese guy. But uh, basically, they found that this autophagy process was actually helping to clear out infections. So viruses, parasites, bacteria, etc. So autophagy also means, you know, cellular cleanup of our own inflamed, damaged tissue, but also that of foreign bodies that shouldn't be there. So you want to exercise this muscle and this metabolic processing that, that's innate in all of us, you know, going back to the innate immune system. This is a big part of it. Well, nobody's, I mean, outside of the U.S., a lot of people are doing this, but I mean, they almost, you know, in the U.S., it's almost become this new fad, right? But I always tell people, yeah. like, this is nothing new. Like, we just, we've been in excess for so long, we forgot that this yeah. is what it's built into what we're supposed to do. And like Nick is saying, I'm glad you said the, the whole work in that muscle. Like, you got to take it in strides, everybody. So if you've tried it and you gave up, I really invite you to go back to it, but just go slow, go slow mm -hmm. and low. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And over time you do create more adaption. You get, it gets easier to do and you find more of a rhythm with the variation of what you do. But like Nick's saying, I mean, long-term benefits of doing this just innate practice that, that, that maximizes expression of what we are as human beings 
it has to be done regularly to get the benefit. And, and like you're saying, then there's a big ripple effect too. I mean, we're talking about just big things of just being able to, to avoid the flu. But when I was just talking to a patient today, her, a lot of her allergies have gone away just from boosting her, mm-hmm. her immune system through improving her gut health. So yeah. we were talking today about how much better her gut was. And she's like, yeah, like I don't have watery eyes anymore and itchy throat and I'm not, my nose doesn't run. I mean, like she's, she's seeing all these things and she's like, usually this time of year I'd be struggling because it's windy and all the pollen starting to blow. I mean, you're going to get the ripple effect of across the board of better immune health. And that just means you feel better more of the time, even when these seasons change and everything. Totally. Yeah. I love, I love stories like that. I mean, and that's the reality. Everyone's that, you know, 70, 80% or maybe more of your entire immune function is sitting in your GI system. It's called your gut associated lymphatic tissue. And when you've got a constant confusion, stagnation, constipation, irritable bowel, you know, or more serious digestive symptoms, your immune system is in a state of compromise. You know, you, you've, you've entered into that uh, population of individuals with immune compromise when your digestive system is not working properly. And, and unfortunately, that's why so many people are susceptible to viruses, et cetera, and parasites and whatnot, and, and, and others aren't. I mean, there's some people that just have rock-solid digestive function, and they're typically people that don't get sick as often. And that alone, I mean, everything you just spoke to is part of that, that mechanism for repairing immune function. So it's huge. Well, and then outside of the things we talked about staying away from and fasting, like Nick is saying, the other thing I would say is just eat real food. Mm-hmm. Like for the people that you're eating too much processed food or fast food, like you need to start making some big shifts there and start being more consistent with eating at home. And cooking your meals and eating real food and high high quality sources organic non-gmo like you know like all that stuff but you got to get to a place where you're feeding your body what it needs yeah yeah so that's i mean we could keep going on food there's there's a few more things to talk about uh, i think the next thing that people are probably wondering is well what what do you take What's a supplementation, you know, like support complex? So why don't we each share some of our basic things that, uh, that we feel would be helpful for people in, in prevention? Awesome. Go ahead, brother. Okay. So I'm going to start with the basics. <clears throat> Excuse me. Vitamin C is a no-brainer. I mean, we can be taking a regular supportive dose, 1,000 milligrams every few hours, um, just to support basic immune function. We know this is great for viruses. Um, you know, if someone has access to doing intravenous vitamin IV, vitamin C, great. Um, and they're actually using this in China. They're using IV vitamin C therapy. They're using just oral vitamin C as part of their strategies to help uh, mitigate some of the, the ongoing infections. So vitamin C is a no-brainer. And the funny thing is, is that when you're sick, your, your gut becomes more permeable to vitamin C. It knows it needs to extract more out of the food you're taking. So taking a regular dose every you know, couple hours can be a great strategy to keep that immune system strong. And I'll typically tell people like somewhere roughly around 10,000 milligrams yeah. a day, and especially if you're not feeling well. Yeah. It's always, always a, a plus to do that, even when you're just sick, because you just feel less crappy when you're on a higher dose of vitamin C. 
Totally. And, and we should, David and I should say, you may be listening to this and we're not your specific doctor. So we're just giving general advice here. This is not to diagnose or therapeutically treat anybody. These are just typical suggestions that we would do for people and, and ones that we would do in ourselves. Um, yeah. Sticking to the vitamin prescription or recommendations, uh, vitamin A, vitamin A, not the carotenes, but the actual retinoic acids are more effective against viruses. So people can sometimes go upwards of 50 to 100,000 uh, units in a short-term dosage strategy. So you can definitely increase your vitamin A for, for you know, a week or two at a time. Um, vitamin D, of course, you know, five to 10,000 units a day, uh, especially during this time. I mean, those are just you know, three basic vitamin nutrients that can be very, very helpful. And then, of course, there's zinc, um, which is another great one for, uh, that stabilizes um, with vitamin C really well and keeps that immune system strong. So those are, those are simple ones that, you know, everyone could be supporting their body with just those basic uh, nutrients. And you'll see a lot of formulas. Uh, just make sure you're buying from quality sources when you're looking for stuff like this, but there's a lot of formulas a lot of times where you can find some of these complexes for these things. So yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times you'll find a good one and, but you got to vary them. Don't take the same stuff all the time. Make yeah. sure there's some variation in that. Um, uh, let's see also outside, outside of the vitamins, man. So I would, olive leaf extract is actually a big thing that I typically recommend as it works as a pretty good antiviral. And so that's typically when I, when I muscle test and find viruses, sometimes I'll tell people, well, you can support it with this. And then uh, colloidal silver mm. would be another yeah. one. Yeah. Especially so for the are, respiratory passageways. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So those are, those would be two other ones. Um, that I would probably recommend on top of the, the high dose vitamin C and some of those other things. Mm -hmm. yeah, there's a couple other herbs that we like to, to recommend for people. Andrographis is one that's <clears throat> great for upper respiratory. Uh, astragalus is like more of a, a Chinese herb. What is a Chinese herb for strengthening immune and adrenal function? And then <clears throat> echinacea, of course, can be another great one. Um, and uh, what's another one? Uh, elderberry. Elderberry is a great herbal support especially for the again for the lungs and cough and, and these are some of these things are things that we take very regularly or do we definitely give the elderberry syrup to our kids um and speaking of the flu i mean our kids actually both our boys just got <laughs> whacked with something uh over the last couple of weeks they were down and out with fever and cough uh we had them home from school for a good week or, or two and um you know these are some of the staples that we use on our boys and and let's talk about is there, any, is there any others there that you want to say? No, no, no. I was yeah. going to say you should talk about some of the uh, the longevity lab stuff that you were using on them. When yeah. Well, yeah, because one of the first ones that, that we would suggest for people is the heat therapy, right? The saunas are power, And you guys have a sauna too. I mean, it's oh, a yeah. powerful tool to, to really stimulate an immune process. And it's mimicking what a fever does in your body. Like we're supposed to get a fever so we can fight infections. That's our body's natural response. What are we doing here in typical therapeutic processes are stopping fevers. We're taking the ibuprofen, the, the Tylenol, whatever, to shut down fever, only to, to, to limit our body's immune system's natural response to fighting something off. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, but that's, that's a reality. So sauna is a great way to have an external applied increased temperature. Oh, it's amazing. Anytime I start to just feel a little off, I go jump into my sauna. 
Yeah. But, you know, absolutely. Like we've forgotten that's a natural mechanism. Let your body do what it's designed to do. Yes, you need to monitor it and control it and make sure it's not getting high. But like everybody remember, like these things are built in for a reason. Yeah. So that that's a great one. I mean, uh, we're so disconnected from our circadian clock. So red light therapy is an, an amazing tool for that as well. Um, we actually just got a, a, a little handheld device called Rouge. It's actually made here in Canada. I just did a post on social media on it. And it's a great little, little mobile device you can take with you and put it, bring it into the sauna with you if you like. But great to just stimulate that circadian rhythm first thing in the morning before bed would be another time to use that. Um, that's for you know increasing mitochondria, just getting the hormonal production stimulated in the appropriate kind of times of day. Again, just that's partly what we talked about with sleep, just creating a natural biorhythm in the body that's that's super helpful for creating that rhythm and your body knows when it should be doing what. Um, and then breath, like, you know, we did this a lot at the retreat, right? Really supporting healthy breath work uh, is hugely important. I mean, how are we supposed to activate our immune system when we're constantly in the fight or flight and just breathing the upper part of our chest? If we're not maximizing the full expanding process of what our lungs are meant to be doing we're not exercising that diaphragm we're not stimulating proper oxygen uptake down into all the little alveoli sacs and so uh using that tool of proper breath work um and you can jump in the hyperbaric chamber at the same time right to really oxygenate the entire body well i like how nick's talking about that the tone of your nervous system plays a massive, massive impact, impact on your immune system's ability to activate and do its job. So if you're stressed and you just there's a lot going on and you're not getting that breath or you're not using one of these tools like meditation or like we talked the other day about just having a process to downregulate that nervous system, you are, you're basically open to, to, to getting infections. Yeah, you know, and especially if this becomes a chronic state too long, so you got to really be proactive there on, on controlling that stress in the system. Yeah, um, you know, Beamer therapy, man. I was thinking mm. as you were talking, the Beamer totally. Totally. microcirculation. Yeah, the Beamer helps. In, what is it? Thirty-two percent increase in microcirculation. So, for our listeners, your circulatory system is like the super high highway on which we have to carry everything to our cells. And if you're not circulating well, if we have poor vasomotion, this affects your body's ability to have a proper immune response where these white blood cells need to tra uh, travel to do that. So the Beamer therapy is amazing. For that. It's amazing. Well, and the other thing that the Beamer therapy does, I can't remember what the, the cytokine stimulus is or the receptor, but it, it actually increases uh, motion, motility of the white blood cells too. So when you're oh, yeah, that's that, what I was talking about. Yeah, like, yeah, totally. It's not perfusion because the high, super highway opens up. So it's, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, for our listeners, this is worth a, a dabble in. Go to YouTube and type in Beamer microcirculation. Yeah. And there's a really neat video that shows you a pre and post video of what yeah. this actually looks like when you have poor vasomotion, you don't circulate well. And it shows you how you we're having very little, uh, basically, white blood cell response. And remember, like when your immune system is triggered, those white blood cells have to go places. But if yeah. you're not circulating well, they're not getting where they need to go in a timely manner. It's kind of like having this massive traffic jam. Totally. So, yeah, it's very powerful therapy. I love my Beamer, man. I love my Beamer. Oh, me too. I'm going to get on that later today, actually. 
<laughs> so one of the one of the things like yeah, I really encourage people to watch that video. I think we may have posted onto our one on one of our web pages. I don't know if you put it on one of your website pages as well, but I mean you can literally see the the numbers of white blood cells increasing as it's moving through and, and just the speed at which the 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 rest of the red blood cells are moving through those vessel systems. It blows you away. I mean you think of like anyone getting a chronic state of inflammation or a chronic state of sickness, it's because of stagnation. We're not moving. And, you know, especially your lymphatic system, you, the only way your lymphatic system moves is when you move, you know, so to take that vasomotion to the more like, you know, external application, that's just movement in general, right? Like that's like yoga, that's running, that's swimming, you know, any sort of cardiovascular output that's going to help stimulate flow is going to be so helpful for your lymphatic and immune system. Oh, it's incredible. So check the video out, everybody. And maybe I'll post it on our Dr. Dead's page. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. let's do that. So, I mean, there's there's definitely a lot more things that one could do for the immune system. I think we've covered a lot of like the the simple, the the at-home things that people can take take handle of. Um, And basically, I think, you know, where where we can leave this is just sort of on a positive note. Uh, I I, I think actually most of this has been positive. Um, But that is you are more powerful than than you understand and if and if we all just took a more ongoing regular approach to building strength and immune function in our body we could be we could feel that we've got more control over our environment than what we realize because we are more adaptable to our environment this isn't about controlling outcomes controlling media what we're told you know what kind of viruses get uh, we get exposed to, but it's really making your body more of an adaptable um, system so that you are stronger, more resilient when f- facing any type of adversity. Well, and I would, I would say to our listeners, this would be, a, I think the home play is have a gut check here for a second and really assess how healthy is your immune system right now mm-hmm. and, and be honest with yourself and then, and then think about maybe some things that we talked about today that you can actually start just implementing slowly. That might be fasting. That might be, hey, I'm going to cut some more sugar out of my diet. Uh, that maybe I'm going to implement, you know, a breathing practice. I mean, there's different things here. But these are tools. And just like anything, if we're not regularly using these tools, we don't get the benefit. Um, so, yeah, some, some good stuff today, man. Just uh, when, uh, These things need to be practiced, everybody. I can't, I can't uh, stress that enough. That's it. Well, Dr. David Wardy, thank you again for another amazing conversation. Um, we're, both of us are just loving you know, the chance to, to communicate back and forth on these different topics. And, and we're so grateful to everyone who tunes in and listens in and comments and shares. It's, it's been a, such a fun ride and we, we plan on continuing. This is part of our passion. This has been a blast, man. <clears throat> And for all of our listeners, Dr. Nick lost the beard. He's, 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 he shaved it <laughs> for the love of his life. But he's looking good. He's looking good. It's just, it's, I'm, I'm working on my longevity plan, so I feel younger and look younger with, with, without the beard. I like it. you got to put a video <laughs> on the website. So <laughs> awesome. Okay, love you, buddy. Take love care. you, brother. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to subscribe to the Dr. Dads and share with your family and friends. You can also follow and interact with Dr. Nick and Dr. David on Facebook and Instagram for a daily dose of inspiration and the latest in health and wellness. Be well.